This is Community Voice. My name is Kevin Maurer, Director of Community Engagement for the Cape Fear Collective. On this episode, we're talking to Sean Bynum, Operations Director for Step Up Wilmington. Step Up is a nonprofit helping folks find jobs and build skills to create a vibrant workforce. On this episode, we talk about how the pandemic is impacting their work, how essential jobs are some of the lowest paid and with the least benefits, and how Step Up's preparing for the end of the pandemic and for future disasters. Sean, thank you for uh, for taking time to talk to us. Uh, I know you guys have been working remotely um, for a little while now. Tell us uh, real quick how uh, COVID-19 has impacted Step Up's um, operations, particularly because you guys did so much face-to-face. Well, that's, that's a great question. As of March 16th, March 16th, our offices have been closed and we've been working remotely since then. And we have suspended all of our face-to-face programming, such as our Jobs Week, Step 2, Next Up, and anything that we do face-to-face that will require you to come into office, we have suspended it until further notice, especially um, not knowing when we're going to come out of this stay-at-home uh, order by our local leaders and government. So it has it has um, a tremendous impact on how we operate daily, and this forced us to turn our attention to gathering data, and we created a campaign that we call Care and Prepare, and those two terms explain what we're doing. We're caring for our staff members, we're caring for our family members, we're caring for our participants and the community by staying at home and and doing our best way here to all the policies so we can um, flatten the curve to the best of our ability. And by doing that, we believe that we are putting ourselves in a position where we are prepared to care for um, our graduates, our participants, and all those who would need us in the coming weeks, coming months, in the year by using the data um, to help us create plans um, for moving forward. What kind of data uh, are you getting? I, I know some initial numbers that, that you, you sent to me before we started talking was, you know, you know, about 20 per, 21% job loss uh, and you know, about, about what, a 17% loss income in hours. Uh, you know, what, what kind of data are you seeing now and, and sort of how are you guys uh, interpreting it? So the data is still um, kind of the same. And we're also gathering that uh, out of all of our participants, 39% of them have been impacted in some way. Um, And that's a combination of the things that we just shared. But what we're finding now is um, very similar to what you you see on the state and and national level, that this thing is, this pandemic will have far-reaching impact. Um, As we all know, that the unemployment rate has skyrocketed and, that's also impacting our local community. But what we're also seeing is for um, many of the jobs that have stopped, other industries and sectors are are booming, per se. Like the big box stores that need stockers, um, grocery stores, Walmart and Target and all of those places like that, um, they're hiring. So what we're trying to do is... um, prepare our participants who have lost their jobs for some of those opportunities. Uh, and many of those opportunities now are coming virtually as they, as they have to interview virtually and, and get prepared to do all of these things before they actually get to um, the job portion of it. It's interesting to me that you're talking about the industries that are booming, like these box stores, like these grocery stores. I mean, these are these are the essential jobs that folks talk about, and yet these are jobs that don't usually pay a living wage don't have paid health care, don't have paid leave, 
and yet they're they're the ones on the front lines. Yes, that's that's so true. And what what this is revealing to not only us but, but to the world that we need to take better care of our frontline workers and understand what they have to deal with because as you just said, those frontline workers, because of what they're doing, they're putting themselves in the position where they are the most vulnerable. Um, and in addition to them being the most vulnerable, we know with the data that we're seeing there are a lot of sectors and demographics that have been revealed as and revealed to some and just confirming to many of us, such as African Americans, um, are are at a higher risk of contracting um, COVID nineteen and potentially dying from it, like many of the other viruses and diseases that have um, stricken American and many other nations. And the reason being is not because we are pre genetically um, dis- exposed to some of these um, viruses. It's because of exterior circumstances that are putting us in danger, such as uh, many of us locally and, and nationally are, do not have access to um, healthy food, access to health care or, or good jobs, and are impoverished. And when you are impoverished, of course, that's going to lend to um, unhealthy habits, such as poor eating habits, because you don't have access to, to grocery stores. If you go to many underprivileged and marginalized communities, you're going to find convenience stores and potentially stores that offer junk food. So if I can't access healthy food or health care, I'm putting myself at risk and then I'll be predisposed to certain things. And that's the same thing with diabetes. So it's not genetic. It's it's circumstances and systematic oppression that's putting us in many and um, in harm's way. And it, a lot of it comes down to preventive health care and, and the fact that, some, you know, a lot of these jobs don't have the, the means to, to pay insurance where you can get that preventive health care and you can maintain that that sort of connection to your health and your doctor and, and treat these these ailments as they come. Um, I think is, is a big is, is a tell. And I think the fact that so many people get their health care through their jobs, I think, is an important thing we got to think about when we come out of the, the back end of this, this pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree. How um, how are you guys balancing um, the job search with with those that are booming and those jobs aren't? Because I, I know that you guys were pushing hard to find jobs with as close to a living wage as possible. Um, how is there is that balance still going on? And how, how do you kind of mitigate that with the need to just make money? Um, that is always an ideal for us, but the reality of it is is, is what you just said. People need income. People need resources. Many people um, that do not have the opportunity to work from home are without income or their income has been severely limited. So we are doing our best to get people jobs with with a living wage, but that's extremely hard for anyone because many um, organizations and um, businesses are closed or limited in their services. So what we're doing now is the best of our ability is provide resources, um, whether it's how to get your um, your impact money or how to perform, as I said earlier, a virtual interviews so you can interview for a job. So all of that to say that we're still looking for um, jobs that pay a livable wage, but if we can get our participants into work, we would do that to the best of our ability. It's interesting when I when I did the podcast with you guys uh, in season one, uh, one of the things Will and I talked about was 
the job pool versus the the employer uh, employment pool. Um, and you know the, the the market was tight because unemployment was really low. You know now we're looking at an explosion of un- unemployment. Um, does that change the way that you guys attack this job? And sort of what kind of ramifications um, do you think this will have with your program? Um, that's that's a good question. I, I think a lot of that is yet to be known because we do not know the full impact of this. But I would definitely say it changes the way um, we run our programs because we have to think more strategically, more broadly about what does employment look like now. Um, and I don't know, but I truly believe that after we come out of this um, stronger, and I truly believe that we will be stronger, that many organizations that were employing people um, in, I guess, their physical facilities now be able to, now be able to figure out ways to employ them virtually. So we need to be able to train people how to operate um, a computer. Some people have do not have computer skills. We need to teach people how to conduct their interview or to answer the phone appropriately, or um, or to even interact over a phone when they're used to interacting personally. So there are many different things, but I, I truly believe those specialized areas will be continue to be um, more prevalent once we get deeper into this. But the employee pool is still there. It's just that our employees have to learn to adopt new skills. Have you have you been? How do you train on these virtual interviews? I know it's taken me a little while to get comfortable with the Zoom meetings and 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 sort of the meeting culture that surrounds that how what are kind of the tips you're giving your participants uh, about these virtual uh interviews that's that's a great question i'll start with so um right now we have staff members who are conducting a live google hangouts where we send the invitation out to as many people as we possibly could to get them with our uh, participants that are actively looking for a job and on this on this um, virtual training session, he's literally walking through, completing an um, I'm sorry, not an interview, completing a application online, because many places that used to allow you to come in um, to fill out the application, they are now solely offering those online, and a lot of our participants do not have access or continuous access to technology, so they may not be as familiar with technology and how to access certain. Um, applications online. So today, um, we have a staff member who is walking through the process of completing your your resume, going to this particular website, accessing the link on the website that will take you to the application, and walking through the application without completely submitting it. And last week, we conducted, I think it was last week, um, we conducted a virtual mock interview where we had two employees one act as the employee and one act as an interested uh, as a potential employee and they conducted the interview as if they were doing it face to face and intentionally did things right and intentionally did things wrong and open it up to all those who were participating in the interview after it was over to put their questions in the chat or make their comments known on the call and, and you've been getting good feedback. I mean, I think you're, you're, you touch on something I want to I want to dig deeper into, which is this digital divide. I mean, how how are you guys overcoming that? I know that the school system has, has struggled to overcome the digital divide, uh, but this idea that uh, we live in an online culture, but there are still folks in our community that don't have twenty four seven easy access to the internet to yeah. do the things they need to do. Yeah. So what we are. Uh we, we've known before, but it's just becoming more of a, a, a reality now. 
is that many of the um, our many of our community members that face barriers to employment, um, and a lot of that is financial. They do not have the, the financial means to uh, to access the internet or have consistent access to the internet on their phone. Many many have government um, supplied phones. Others may not have computers or computer access in their home. So what we're doing with the database that we have is we have all of our staff members contacting the participants, not only to see if we can figure out their needs, but to uh, inquire about what type of access to the Internet do they have. And as of today, we've created um, options in our database it says if it's public, if it's private, do you have access on your phone? Do you have access at home? And then we're taking all of this data and surveying it to see how many members of our population that we serve on a regular basis will have access to the um, to the internet or the services that we provide. Because we know that just because we provide a virtual service, that does not mean that you're going to have access to it, especially if your access was the was a library or a public's place because we can no longer go out. So we're taking all of that data and then determining how um, we should present what we're training on. For example, should we send emails? Should we send text messages? Do we put it out on, on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, or Twitter? Or what's the best way to get the information that we have in the hand that need it the most? And it's different. It's different. Um, for all the things that we're offering. What, what is the digital divide look like for your participants? Do, do the majority of them have access to, to uh, the internet or no? Um, I do not have all of those numbers, but the majority, the majority may have access, but they may not have the capability. So um, they may not have the capability to stream a video. And they may only, as I stated before, they may only have access when they're in a public space. So as the weeks go, we will have a better um, understanding as we continue to, to um, collect the data on who has access. But I would say many, many of our participants may have access to reading email or text messages, but not all of them have access to be able to watch a video or to stream it. And we're grateful for the um, internet service providers that are providing free services or um, considerations for those who are not able to um, pay their bills now. As we, as we look to get out of this pandemic, what are some of the short-term goals that Step Up has? And then, you know, looking forward, what are the, some of the long-term goals, particularly around how Step Up will uh, be able to um, respond to future disasters? Mm, great question. Um, Short-term goals are to gather as much accurate data as we possibly can so that we will be prepared and armed with the appropriate data that we have so we can um, have a great impact on the unemployment and our uh, unemployment rate in our community here in Wilmington. Um, and then another short-term goal, and I think it's actually, I should have mentioned this first because it's critical, to make sure that... Um, we are as healthy as an organization as we possibly can be during this um, pandemic and as we come out of this pandemic. And what I mean by that is caring for our staff, caring for our family members, and caring for ourselves. Because we 
are in a position and love the position that we're in when we're serving the community, but we have to be healthy as well. So a long-term goal is to figure out how to best serve our community once we get back in our physical location. Because we believe that there will be phases to this, and once this is once we're able to go back into our organization, um, we truly believe that we're not going to be able to conduct business as usual because of the population in which we serve and the uncertainties of COVID-19. So what that means is we have to figure out how to do things differently when we were able to do them face-to-face when they walk into our organization.